I hope you all have found time to go through Revelation chapter 9. Today, that's what we'll be seeing, Revelation chapter 9. We have finished up to chapter 8, and today we'll be seeing chapter 9. This is the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. You can always use your chat box to ask questions and also to answer. We are seeing the seven trumpets in chapter eight. We saw four trumpets. One third of the earth was destroyed. One third of sea was destroyed. One third of rivers. They turned bitter and one third of cosmos. The sun became dark and the moon became red blood and it became dark. So we saw all the four trumpets and then interestingly we have a verse uh, the last verse of chapter 8 as i watched i heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice oh 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 to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels oh 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 Basically, this verse is telling us there are three more woes, three more judgments that are to take place. And one wonders what is left out now after seeing all that has happened with the four trumpets. Now, what is left out? But uh, in chapter nine, we have the trumpet, fifth trumpet and the sixth trumpet being blown. And not only we have the description, we have these descriptions at length uh, explaining what's going to happen. It's almost like wars are taking place. It is almost like God has declared a war against humanity. It's almost like the enemy forces are coming in great number and invading us to attack us, to attack the humanity. And um, we, are, we can debate whether it's going to be human or it is going to be demonic. We can debate about it. But, uh, but we will, uh, if we get into this kind of nitty gritty details, we will uh, miss out the purpose of this judgment. What is the purpose behind any of God's judgment? Uh, we should never forget this aspect. Most important is the repentance that such horrifying judgment should evoke, but they do not. Uh, it's very sad, and uh, that is the human condition. Even after going through so much of agony, so much of pain, there is no repentance. But the underlying principle behind any of God's judgment is not to destroy people or not even to cause misery and pain, but somehow to bring people to repentance. And it is not happening. It's not happening because when we come towards the end of this chapter, we will see that people still after the fifth and sixth trumpet, people still will not repent. Rather, they will say, we would rather prefer to die than to repent. That is the human condition. 
that is the sinful condition of human beings and we should not miss out on this particular aspect keep this in mind most important is the repentance that such horrifying judgment should evoke quite often we get into these details the tail is this the eyes are this uh, the head is like this we get into those details it is coming from east this must be this country which will come and attack we try to decipher all these things but we forget the underlying condition of the human heart which is hard it is stubborn and the human heart is not willing to repent and today if there is something that we need to repent we should not wait for tomorrow as we go through this we all every day constantly we need to repent repent of our attitude repent of our thought process we need to repent because if we keep repenting the heart will be soft and if we ignore we will do it tomorrow day after tomorrow we are only hardening our hearts and that's the lesson we should learn from these judgments we should never never postpone repentance uh, repenting of our wrong attitude and actions now with that as our background we come to the fifth trumpet play <clears throat> we go to chapter 9 and we will read verses 1 and 2 the fifth angel sounded his trumpet and i saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth the star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss smoke uh, when he opened the abyss smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace the sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss this is the fifth trumpet when the fifth angel blows the tr- blows his trumpet john saw a star had fallen from the sky to the earth so first we have to figure out what does the star symbolize in this verse what does the star symbolize in this verse lucifer saturn uh lucifer saturn thank you thank you so much anyway anybody else okay we have got one answer and we'll proceed with that uh, most pagans held stars to the divinities uh, in an indian context it is not difficult to understand you know the horoscope they say your star is not good your star is like this and so the general belief uh, in the in the pagan belief system is stars have some kind of power and they denote divinity uh in it here what we are saying the star was given the key uh to the shaft of the abyss uh in in jewish traditions uh they spoke of evil angels imprisoned in dungeons or rivers these are jewish traditions 
and this book comes from a Jewish background, so we are rating this. So what happens, their belief is the evil angels have been imprisoned in dungeons or rivers, and they're all waiting for their time to come so that not they can repent, they can wreak havoc, they can bring more destruction. These demonic angels or the fallen angels are waiting for a time when they can come out and bring more destruction on the earth. So when we see the star here, the star could symbolize angels in Jewish text. And John basically exploits the standard imagery to make this point. Now, this is a, John is talking about a fallen star, a star that has fallen or an angel that has fallen because of moral failure. Uh, it is talking about a fall, fallen angel. Now, what we need to see is God's sovereign ability to use even those fallen angels to accomplish his ultimate purpose. God is sovereign and he has control over everything. And so he's going to use even the fallen angels to accomplish his ultimate purpose. Uh, we heard that the star could be the Satan. So we have in Isaiah 14, 12, how you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. Uh, we have in the New Testament, in Luke uh, 10, 18, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So Satan is given divine authority to execute these judgments. Satan doesn't have power on its own, but it's given the divine authority. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. In other words, God gives that authority to the fallen angels to accomplish its purpose. Now, in the book of Revelation, the abyss, uh, the star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. In Revelation, the abyss is a place of evil and a place where evil entities are imprisoned. Uh, that's the uh, meaning in the book of Revelation when we come across the word abyss. We have an interesting incident in the Gospel of Luke in 8, 30, 31. You know, when Jesus went to uh, Gerasenes, uh, he finds a man uh, possessed by demons and the conversation that goes on, Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss because these demons had some kind of prior knowledge that uh, there is a place called abyss for them and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss but Jesus had so much of compassion on human beings when Jesus cast out the demons, though the uh, demons asked, uh, let us go into those pigs 
and we know what happened to those pigs, 2,000 of the pigs, they just drowned into the river, and that is the abyss. That is the Jewish context of where the evil angels are imprisoned in, uh, in, in the seas. Uh, keep this in mind, and it is talking about, not at least not about a good angel, uh, here what we see in the context is it's about a bad angel. Now, uh, with that, he's starting. Uh, now, God employs even evil ag agents to destroy other evil agents. Uh, God will use Babylon to teach a lesson to Judah, and again, God will use another country to teach a lesson to Babylon. Uh, this is the way uh, we see in the scripture. So we go to the next verse, that Revelation 9.3, and out of the smoke, because the star was given the key to the abyss, so when the abyss was opened, there was a smoke that rose from it, like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. Uh, thus, even the sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down on the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. Uh, this is a typical locust swarm. And John is trying to use this metaphor to explain about the judgment uh, that will come out of the fifth trumpet. Now, which play does the locust resemble in Exodus? We said most of this, they resemble the plagues in Exodus. So which plague does the locust resemble in Exodus? Any guesswork? You can unmute and you can answer. Which plague does the locust resemble in Exodus? So when the fifth angel blows his trumpet, a plague of demonic locusts is released from the bottomless pit. Uh, this plague recalls the eighth plague in Exodus. So Exodus 10, 12, and the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over Egypt so that the locusts swarm over the land and devour everything growing in the fields, everything left by the hail. You know, John is using this, but he is not using in the same way that we read in the Exodus. He transforms this locus into something far more terrifying. When we read the description in chapter 9, and when we read this judgment, the fifth trumpet judgment, John's description, the way he is describing the locusts, the way he describes its head and tail, and uh, you know, there is a crown, the way he's describing, he's making this judgment, he's describing this judgment as a terrifying uh, judgment. We also know that locusts, uh, we come across locusts in the book of Joel. The book of Joel also describes of an imminent locust plague. Uh, and it almost talks about the armies of the final war. 
Now, John borrows this Joel's imagery to amplify. In other words, he's making, he's describing it to amplify the imagery of a locust invasion. In other words, it's talking about a terrible invasion the earth has never witnessed before. That's the way John is going to uh, describe this judgment. Uh, next work, verse Revelation 9:4. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Uh, why is the description in this verse unusual? What is something unusual we find in this verse? The locusts are not harming the grass. Yes, you're right, uh, Chriso. Uh, it is interesting. They were ordered. You know, locusts' main target is what? Grass, plant, or anything that it can feed on. But in this particular case, they were told not to harm the grass of the earth. It, is, it goes against the very nature of the locust, not to don't touch any vegetation. I know you always feast on the vegetation, but in this particular case, you will not feast on the vegetation, but you will only attack the people. You will not harm the grass of the earth, or any plant or tree. You will not harm the vegetation on earth. In other words, they were forbidden. They were specifically told, don't harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree. Uh, now, just as the Israelites had been exempt from the plague of Egypt, so now, Christians who have the seal of God on their foreheads, they will be protected. So we have seen in chapter 7, you know, when we saw that 1,44,000, uh, the four angels were told to wait till uh, you know, the seal is put on the forehead of God's people. And here it says, only those people who did, who, who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. God has his own way of protecting his people. It doesn't mean the people will not die, but God, his, his way of protection is different. He, he is concerned about his people. He will never forget his people. He's a loving God. He's a loving father. We, we should not take it as, oh, that means nobody will die. No, that's not the meaning of this. The meaning of this is God has his own way of protecting his people. We are talking about physical protection, but God has a different kind of protection. People who take the name of Jesus, they'll be martyred, they'll be killed. But there is a protection that God gives his people. Uh, in other words, the divine judgments will not harm God's people. It'll, it'll rather be for their good. So we go to Revelation 9.5. They were not allowed to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. Those who did not have the seed. 
and the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes. He's talking about the locust swamp, and he's also talking about the locusts were specifically instructed not to harm the vegetation, but only those people who did not have the seal of God, and now the locusts are also instructed, you will not kill them. Just because they don't have the seal, it's not that you will kill them, but you will torture them only for five months. Now, what is the significance of five months? What is the significance of five months? Is there any significance of five months? The usual life cycle of certain species of natural locusts is only five months. Uh, that's the reason we have this five months. Now, what is the significance of the sting of a scorpion? It is a locust, but when it stings, the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes. So why John is using, referring to the sting of a scorpion? The scorpion stings were amongst, their, they, they produce the most intense pains. And also, the Jewish text often included uh, scorpions as one of God's means of judgment. So, so even though we, we are talking about the locust swarm, uh, John is talking about, you know, and the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion. In other words, the pain was unbearable. The pain was immense. They did not die, but they went through this immense pain. Now, if you remember Solomon's son, Rehoboam, after the death of Solomon, when the people came and they said, why don't you reduce the tax? Uh, this is how Rehoboam replied, my father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So scorpions means you know, you're going to suffer more pain. Now we go to the next. Now all this is telling us the judgment is very, very severe, painful, intense, unbearable. That's what the description um, implies during those days people will seek death but will not find it they will long to die die but death will elude them uh, the suffering is so immense it is unbearable when you are in unbearable pain the normal reaction is it's better i die 
because pain is unbearable. So the people here, they also, they feel it's better we die, but death will not come to them. They want to die, but death will not come to them. Because death is not the answer for them. They need to repent. But they will not do that. We'll go to the next verse. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads, they wore something like crowns of gold and their faces resembled human faces. See how John is describing. He's, he took a normal locust from the book of Joel and he's trying to amplify how a judgment is going to come through the imagery of locusts. The locusts look like horses prepared for battle. It's like war horses. I showed you the picture, you know, the locust swarm. You imagine the number of horses in the place of those locusts. Imagine the kind of noise. The, if, you, if you can imagine all those horses rushing towards the, uh, the country, imagine. Soldiers, mounted horses. That, that's, that's the kind of picture John is presenting before us. The locusts look like horses prepared for battle. He's talking about the war horses. And they were as numerous as locusts. Can you count the number of locusts in a swarm? So he's, what he's telling us, that is the kind of judgment that's going to come. You know, uh, this horse description is not something strange. In Joel 2.4, it says, they have the appearance of horses. They gallop along the, like cavalry. Uh, and John is talking about on their heads, they wore something like crowns of gold. Crown is basically for a victor, basically to say that they had in the past also, they had some kind of victory. So this is not going to be a uh, force that will be defeated. Now also they will, they will succeed in the mission that they have come. Uh, and it's talking about their faces resembled human faces. It's, it's interesting. The faces resembled human faces. Uh, in, the, in the most, uh, in the ancient uh, Near Eastern culture, the kind of images to terrify a child. Uh, they had this kind of images. In fact, this picture denotes something most terrible and it's also repressed images of that culture. Every culture has got some kind of figure and um, sitting in a uh, city, we may not understand, but um, maybe in a village, if they have to tell a story, you know, the grandmothers will tell a story about some figure, you know, their frightening figure. You know, he had a long tail and he had two horns on his head. It is something like that. So this imagery is basically talking about a very wild creature to evoke, you know, it, just, to, just to hear that itself, it will evoke fear. Uh, for us, probably we might not 
uh, we are not accustomed to this locus and all that. Uh, if, you are, if you are used to those stories, so this is the kind of stories they used to tell. And that's what John is emphasizing in this place. <clears throat> Basically, the kind of horror, the kind of uh, fear that will be in the minds of the people. And Revelation 9:8, their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lions' teeth. Uh, the book of Joel also describes locusts with uh, lions' teeth. Joel 1:6 says, A nation has invaded my land, a mighty army without number. It has the teeth of a lion, the fangs of a lioness. Uh, basically, to tell the ferocious, the ferocity. It is so ferocious. It's basically, it's going to destroy everything. Their teeth were like lion's teeth. Uh, now, if a, if a farmer were to hear this message, you know, in the next season, the locusts will come and the locust teeth will be like lion's teeth. He will stop, uh, you know, even sowing anything in the field because he knows nothing will be left. So in an agrarian society, if somebody were to hear a, a scene like this or an impending danger like this, uh, they will not even move forward to do anything in the field. Because if this is what's going to come, why should I waste my energy and my time? Uh, because when these locusts come, they will just devour uh, anything. Now, in John's time, it is the barbarians had long hair. Outside of the uh, Roman Empire, the barbarians had long hair. So probably the, the John's readers were familiar with this kind of an imagery. Their hair was like women's hair. Uh, long hair they had. Probably they could uh, relate this to the Parthi, Parthians. Parthians were the Romans' bitterest enemy, the strongest enemy. Romans, when they, when they heard the name of Parthi, Parthians, they were scared because Parthians were too good and Romans were very scared uh, when they heard the name of Parthians. The, the, this could also imply the evil spiritual realities, the demonic forces, the so-called principalities, powers. It will be very difficult for us to say, but all that we can say is this judgment is going to be horrific. That's, that's what we could say. But this description could also talk about the fallen angels when they are released when they are allowed to carry out their activity, they will go all out to bring about or to commit heinous crimes. So it could also talk about evil spiritual realities, or it could also talk about uh, you know, the human forces. We will not be very clear on that, but we should be, we, our interest is not that who is this, who does this represent? That's not the important point here. The point here is there's going to be a judgment. And when this judgment comes, it's going to be terrible. It's going to be horrific. That's the we should not forget. 
And John is trying to describe that, portray how horrible it's going to be. In Revelation 9.9, he says they had breastplates, like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. Locus, he has already, he has portrayed locus, locus swarm as uh, war horses. So now he's saying the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. We have this imagery in Joel 2.5, with a noise like that of chariots, they leap over the mountain tops. Joel is describing the locusts and is describing them with a noise like that of chariots, they leap over the mountain tops like a crackling fire consuming stubble, like a mighty army drawn up for battle. It's, it's like an invading army. In the present day context, if the tanks were to move, uh, I don't know how many of you have heard the noise of a tank, uh, it, it's, it's like that. You know, if a, if a tank battalion is moving in the desert, and if you were to hear that noise, that's the kind of noise uh, this will, uh, this locus will generate. Uh, Jeremiah also has uh, something similar to this. The snorting of the enemy's horses is heard from Dan. At the name of their stallions, the whole land trembles. They have come to devour the land and everything in it the city and all who live there. Basically, it's describing the horrific nature of this judgment. And this for the fierce, these forces will be so ferocious, uh, no one can withstand that. Uh, we go to the next verse, Revelation 9:10. They had tails with stingers like scorpions, and in their tails they had power to torment people for five months. Now, many people, the mob, you know, they have written novels uh, based on these chapters, and they will talk about Cobra helicopters, uh, you know, especially the Americans use the Cobra helicopters against the Vietnamese, and in the Cobra helicopters, what they did is they released the nerve gas uh, from the tail of the helicopters, but uh, that's extending all this too much. Uh, that's not the kind of uh, interpretation we should look for. Uh, it's quite interesting to read that, but that's not the right interpretation. They had tails with stingers, like scorpions, and in their tails, they had power to torment people for five months. Now, we need to understand whether John's readers would have envisaged a Cobra helicopter. Not at all. But how... How, how the John's readers, did they have any clue when they read they had tails with stingers? As I told you that this kind of an imagery uh, refers, alludes to the Parthians. Parthians, <clears throat> they, were, uh, they, they were very famous for their rear word archery. So in one or two battles, what they did is they went against the Romans. Uh, when they fought against the Romans, they pretended as though they are withdrawing 
from the Romans, and they started moving uphill. When they started going towards the uphill, the Roman soldiers or the Roman battalions, Roman legions, uh, they started chasing them. And at a, after reaching a particular distance, the Spartans, what they did, they, they brought a hail of arrows, you know, this backward hail of arrows. The Roman soldiers didn't even anticipate. Now, this is the kind of, uh, they had tails with stingers. The, this is how the Roman, uh, the John's readers would have understood. Uh, referring to a kind of uh, Parthians, Parthians army, uh, they had they were experts uh, in you know in firing the uh, in shooting the arrows rearward. It's not going to be easy, but they were known for this kind of warfare, and the Romans were very scared of them. In fact, they stopped chasing them because they didn't know what's going to happen. And they were very famous for that. In fact, they, the history says they wiped out several legions, uh, you know, and Romans thereafter, they, they said, we are not going to follow the Spartans. <clears throat> so basically the picture that we get, the description that we get is about like cavalry horses armed for battle and they have human faces. He's talking about the locust swamp, uh, like war horses. They have human faces. They wear gold crowns. That means they are renowned for their victory, for their skills. Their hair is like women's hair. Their teeth are like lion's teeth. And they have tails with poisonous, poisonous things like scorpions. Uh, it's basically, it is John's way of describing the horrific nature of this judgment. In fact, we should admire uh, John's capacity to describe the horrific nature of a judgment in these uh, terms. And then in Revelation 9-11, we see they had as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek is Apollyon. Uh, John, that is destroyer. John, he uses the word Hebrew word Abaddon. Abaddon is basically destruction. And he doesn't want his readers to miss out the essence of this. So he's adding the Greek word Apollyon. And there is that explanation that is given that is destroyer. Uh, the leader of this uh, demonic host is Abaddon, the destroyer. Uh, you know, we should not, John wants to tell the intensity of this judgment. He doesn't want uh, the readers to lose sight of the fact that it is going to be destruction, unimaginable destruction. Now, Abaddon is a Hebrew name for the lowest depths of the earth. Uh, basically, they talk about the realm of the dead. The dead people will be there. That's, that's a Hebrew term for Abaddon. We have uh, in Proverbs 27:20, death and destruction are never satisfied and neither are human eyes. 
if you read it in the Hebrew Bible, instead of the word destruction, you'll find the word Abaddon. So the, it is talking about a terrifying judgment. Um, so like I said, the Parthians, Parthians were known for the rearward archery. So this is an army which will come out of hell and it's almost like they come with vengeance to fill the head, the bottomless pit. Uh, that's what John is describing in the fifth uh, trumpet blast. Uh, now we go to the sixth trumpet plague. Uh, always keep in mind the Parthians were the most feared enemies in this period. Uh, the, for Romans, uh, the Parthians were the more, they feared the Parthians. And remember, the Christians were undergoing persecution. They're being persecuted by the Romans. You should always keep this in mind. And John is going to, is talking about a judgment that will be brought upon Romans. And when his readers, they read this, they would have felt encouraged because the kind of persecution they were undergoing right now, John is telling them a judgment will come on them and Parthians will be the tool through which God will bring about a judgment. And we go to the sixth trumpet plague, Revelation 9, 12 to 13, the fifth is over that we saw in uh, Romans chapter eight, verse 13, woe, woe, woe. So one woe is over, now the second woe. So the first woe is past, two other woes are yet to come. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard your voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. Now, the sixth angel basically is going to summon a vast <coughs> host of horsemen and he also gives the number 200 million and they will cross the Euphrates River and they will kill a third of humankind. That's, that's the essence of the sixth trumpet. Now, what is the significance of the golden altar? The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar that's before God. What is the significance of the golden altar? The altar that carries the prayers of the martyrs. Uh, can you please repeat, Crystal? It's not uh, clear. Uh, the altar that has the prayer of the uh, prayers of the martyrs. Yeah, it's right. Uh, it's not. Uh, it's basically. Uh, it's. It's not the prayers of the martyrs. Uh, basically, what he's talking about is the golden altar. It is not the sacrificial altar in the temple. Uh, it is the golden altar or the incense altar. Uh, that is, uh, he's referring to the incense altar that's in the temple, not the sacrificial altar. Uh, because if you read in Exodus 33, 
overlay the top and all sides and the horns with pure gold and make a gold molding around it. So here we are talking about the golden altar. Now, when we are talking about the sacrificial altar, uh, the description is this, Exodus 35, 16, the altar of burnt offering with its bronze grating, its poles and all its utensils, the bronze basin with its sand. So one thing is very clear, he's not referring, John is not referring to the sacrificial altar, he's talking to the incense altar. In other words, this response, this judgment, represents a further response to the prayers of the saints. Our prayers will never go in vain. It never goes in vain. We need to be very clear about this. We might come and pray, and we might be thinking nothing is happening, but our prayers will never go in vain. You see, even the judgment comes in response to the prayers of the saints. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar. That's before God. Uh, you know, being in a city, quite often we don't find time to come and pray as a community, as a church. We've struggled to find time. Uh, probably we feel that there's nothing much, but our prayers are valuable. Every time we come as a community and we pray, they're valuable because that is before the Lord and God will act in response to the prayers that we make. I encourage all of you to be part of a communal prayer. Wherever you are, people, those of you who are joining us outside Bangalore, wherever it is, always try to be part of a community prayer part of a missions prayer, wherever your prayer, be a part of it because you are not wasting your time. God is hearing those prayers. And it's very clear here, the sixth angel, in fact, the very sixth trumpet, the sixth judgment, it came because I heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar that is uh, before God. We go to the next verse, Revelation 9:14. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Uh, if we go back to uh, Revelation chapter seven, the four angels were told to wait till uh, a seal is put on the forehead of God's people. Now the sixth trumpet, it says, release the four angels. Uh, there again, it all represents the fallen angels, and they have no power on their own. So God is releasing. Unless they have divine sanction, the, the fallen angels have no authority. So release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now, Euphrates uh, was traditionally the boundary between the Parthian and the Roman empires. So now, as I told you earlier, some of the Jewish texts, they also speak of fallen angels being bound in the depths of various seas. Uh, we will not be able to confirm it or affirm it. I'm only telling what the Jewish texts they say. 
and they all will be released only at the command of God or one of the angels. On their own, they cannot do anything. Uh, we go to the next verse, 9, 15 to 16. And, now, and the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. John says he heard their number. 10,000 times 10,000. It is 100 um, million. And now he says twice 10,000 times 10,000. That is 200 million. So in the first century, a figure of 200 million probably uh, it represented more than the population of the world. Uh, but that's the kind of figure John is putting here. And he heard that uh, number. Remember, for this very hour and day and month and year, everything is under the control of our almighty God. Everything will happen at the right time, very hour and day and month and year. We don't have to sit and speculate when it is going to come. We have been commanded not to speculate at the right time. At the right time, the angels have been kept ready for this very hour and the day, the month and the year. They, these are the supernatural, supernatural agents of destruction, but it will happen. Uh, we go to Revelation 9, 17 to 19. The horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red. Earlier we saw iron. Now we see the breastplates were fiery red, dark blue and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire smoke and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for the tails were like snakes, having heads with which they inflict injury. Now, it's, it refers more to the Parthian army, how they were experts in rearward archery, and they also used flaming arrows. So it is a, it is a description uh, which almost resembled to that because in their tails uh, they had power for their tails were like snakes having heads with which they inflict uh, injury. When we read, whenever you come across a lion, it's talking about a ferocious animal. Uh, it's talking about the destruction that will come and snakes and uh, you know, the, the injury that will come. Uh, we must remember, whenever we read this, uh, these are not physically real. In other words, you don't draw a locust and, uh, or you make a horse and then you make uh, another tail, something like snake. Uh, it's not a literal uh, description. We have already seen in the introduction when Ezekiel's vision of the Valley of Dry Bones and we also saw the Peter's vision of a great sheet let down from heaven and filled with all kinds of unclean uh, creatures. It doesn't mean these creatures, they even existed. It's not the meaning of that. 
because they were received in a trance. Peter was in a trance when he saw this uh, image. Uh, so they are not, sometimes these images are not physically present. So we should not write, oh, this is the description. So we need to look for something like this. No, that's not the uh, meaning behind this. In the book of Revelation, the descriptions are not descriptions of real occurrences, but of symbols of the real occurrences. They are just symbols of real occurrences. Uh, we don't have to sit and start painting a, a locus, having a horse head or the face look like human. Uh, so that's not the idea here. The idea is these symbols are going to represent something real that will happen. In other words, something about the horrific nature of destruction that will be let loose on this earth. That's what uh, we should understand. Uh, that's what the symbolic language is intended to convey. Uh, but in all this, you'll find God is very patient and he's also merciful. Now, even in this case, there is not a total destruction, but only one third of humankind will be destroyed. Uh, there is still people. There will always be remnants. Judgment is always for hope, hope of restoration, restitution. Our God is a God of love, and he doesn't want to destroy us. And in, in the last two verses, it says, the rest of mankind were not killed by these plagues, still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Now, despite all this, people still did not repent. We saw that in the book of Exodus, in Exodus 7, 22-23, but the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord has said. Instead, he turned and went into his palace and did not even, and did not take even this to heart. Now, when we read about idolatry, quite often we, we think or we believe that it is kind of a image or an object that we have at home. Idolatry is anything that we do with our own hand and we put our trust in it. In other words, uh, we can be very successful with our hands and create, we have a lot of money and when we start having confidence in that money, that's idolatry. As Christians, we should be, or I can study very well and I can be very successful in my career. And when I think that career is my confidence, that's idolatry. That's why, you know, they, 
idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that they cannot see or hear or talk. Whenever we place our confidence in our own ability, that's idolatry. And God is against that. And idolatry is present in every age. Just because we don't have few images in our home or few idols in our home or few objects in our home, it does not mean that we don't have idols in our heart. Unless we give God the due place and we worship him as God and give him the glory that is due to him, we also believe in idolatry and we should be careful about that. Idolatry and immorality were standard parts of Greco-Roman culture. And to that, we find what is added here is murderers, magic arts, their sexual immorality are thefts. No society will recommend thefts because nobody would like to have thefts or sorcerers, they were against this. So John is describing this. So we have come to us, uh, we have finished chapter nine. Uh, if you have any questions, you can ask. We have finished uh, fifth trumpet and sixth trumpet. Uh, I only presume that uh, it's very clear. So I'm glad that you're all able to follow this. Uh, we, we will say the closing prayer. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen. Glorious Father, we see how loving and how patient you are with us. You have loved us unconditionally. We are grateful to you, O oh God. Teach us to worship you with all our hearts, with all our mind, with all our strength. Help us not to worship the works of our hands, not to trust in our own selves or in our money, in our accomplishments, in our job, in our designation, but Lord, to trust in you at all times. Teach us, O oh Lord, Lord, if there are any idols in our hearts, Spirit of God, I pray you will reveal it to us. We want to give all glory, honor, and praise to one and one alone. We bless your name. We bow before you. Bless each and every one who has attended this Bible study today. Be with them, O oh Lord. Bless them with good health and strength. Protect them, guard them, guide them in all that they do. And Lord, we will be always careful enough to give you all glory, honor, and the worth that is due, due to you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, unfailing love of our Heavenly Father and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit remain with each one of us now and forevermore. Amen.